John 14. John 14 is our passage that we looked at this morning. I will go back there as we begin. John 14 is a, um, one of my favorite passages. In fact, most of you know that if I have done a funeral uh, for you, for your family, um, if I've done a funeral for you, we got something special going on here this morning, but I caught myself on that one. I, if I've done a funeral in your family or, or, for, or for your loved one or for someone that, that you know, uh, you know that I've, I've referred to this passage. In fact, I've probably preached from this passage. Uh, John 14, 1 through 6, uh, I believe is a, such a passage that gives us hope. And it leaves the question and the answer in John 14, uh, 1 to 6. Uh, Jesus, as the master teacher, as the great teacher that he is, and we understand Jesus is so much more than that, but we see his teaching skills and his teaching um, application really on display in this passage because Jesus is, is telling him, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then he leaves him in that verse number four, he leaves him with that open-ended question, that thing to let him think about for a minute, as he says, and whither or where I go, you know, and the way you know, like you, you know this, and you can just see a moment of awkward silence as everybody kind of looks at each other. And Thomas, who we pick on for a lot of different things, but Thomas is the one bold enough in this instance to say, Lord, wait, <laughs> I don't know where you're going and I don't know how to get there. Lord, I don't know. I think that gives a lot of hope. It gives some answers to those that are sitting at a funeral service that have lost a loved one especially when we know that the one who has departed is a believer in Jesus Christ. We know that they're a believer, and we can tell them, listen, we know that they are now absent from the body and present with the Lord. And often we, like Thomas, say, we don't really know where that is or how to get there, but we would like to know. Thomas asked that question. And Jesus answered that question with the very famous verse number six, which is our text verse this morning, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus gave a very clear answer to a very important question that Thomas asked there in verse number five. And so I'm continuing with my series, Jesus Is. And today we're going to look at the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We kind of always lump them together because of the way they are in this verse. I'm going to try to break them down a little bit today. Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, and Jesus is the life. First of all, we see that he says he's the way. He's the way. And so the question had been asked, uh, where are you going? How do we get there? And so this is a direct response to that very important question. Lord, we know you're leaving. You, we understand that. You told us you're leaving. How do we go where you're going? And Jesus said, listen, I, I'm not only telling you that I'm leaving. I'm not only telling you I want you to be there, but I am the way and how to get there. So Jesus Christ is the way. Proverbs 14 verse 12. I'm going to turn over to that, but I'm going to go back to John 14 uh, in just a moment. So you may want to uh, leave a finger there as we turn back there in just a moment. But in Proverbs 
14, verse number 12. Proverbs 14, 12 tells us, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There's a way that man thinks is right, but it's wrong. Or man has his ways and thinks he knows the way or will come up with his own way. But Jesus said very clearly, wait, I I am the way. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Christ is the way. I have an illustration I want to use this morning. It should be familiar to you if you've watched any TV uh, over the last several months. Uh, You'll probably have seen these commercials Uh, And it's going to tie in almost directly. It's like part two of Brother Walker's Sunday school lesson. Because I want to talk about the way people think today. Because our, our, our generation that is growing up today thinks differently than previous generations. We call that a postmodern culture. Postmodern culture. We, we come to our conclusions differently. Uh, that's not an instantaneous change. That's a long over a long period of time change. But in a modern thinking, we came to conclusions scientifically, rationally. We had a question. We came up with an answer that fit that. Today, we are much more concerned about our feelings and how we feel about something. Remember, Proverbs tells us, there's a way which seemeth right unto a man. Last night, I was watching um, some of the football games and um, watching the Eagles win, unfortunately. But they won. (laughs) I'm not wearing a purple shirt by accident, but there's somebody I really want to win at 4 o'clock this afternoon. And I didn't want them to go to Philly. I wanted them to play at home. But that's neither here nor there. It has nothing to do with the message this morning. I'm watching uh, football last night a little bit. And several of the commercials came on from Chevrolet. And these Chevrolet commercials, these new ones, they they start with, these are real people, not actors. Real people. (laughs) Has nothing to do with my illustration either, but uh, Philip, that drives my son Philip crazy. He's like, what are they, do we think they're fake people? You know? And we are definitely implying that actors are not real people. That's obviously implied, because they're real people, not actors. But you can either here nor there. They get these people together to talk about cars and to talk about what they think about their Chevrolet cars and the new models and stuff. And they got the one last night where they have the people sitting around a round table beside the interstate, I guess on an on-ramp, and they're, they're talking about how scary it is to break down on the interstate. And so he brings out, the host brings out his six awards that Chevrolet won for initial quality. Initial quality. That cracks me up. But anyway, he brings out his awards for initial quality and tells them what great cars they are. And the commercial ends with uh, one of the ladies sitting behind the wheel of a Chevy Malibu saying, this car feels really dependable. It feels dependable. She hasn't driven it. She hasn't even started it. Dependability is not a feeling. Dependability is something that happens after time. Now, coincidentally, I own a Chevy Malibu, right? I drive a Chevy Malibu. I've, I've put about uh, 
25,000 miles on my Chevy Malibu. I just, most of you know, but a uh, uh, family in the church bought one for me off of a work uh, lease and, and gave it to me. They gave me the Chevy Malibu to drive. And so I got it used. I'm saying it already had miles on it, and then I've put about 25,000 miles on it. That Chevy Malibu, I can tell you, is dependable. It has never let me down. It has never not started. All these cold days, it starts right up. It's never left me on the side of the road. It's never left me on that on-ramp they show in the, in the commercial. I've never broken down. It's, it's, I can tell you the car is dependable because the car that I'm driving has been dependable. It's not a feeling. It's based on fact, folks. It didn't break down. But it feels, it feels dependable. That's postmodern thinking, right? I'm telling you, we, we, if, if you look closely, you can see it really infiltrating advertising today. They don't advertise a Chevrolet truck that way. A Chevrolet truck, they still advertise with modern thinking. That is, there's so many on the road, and it's so dependable, and, and they never break down, and they haul all this payload, and they're built with this kind of frame, and blah, blah, blah. They tell you all the facts about the truck. Because of who they're advertising Chevrolet trucks to, it's probably a blue-collar type of guy who's hardworking and doesn't think like a millennial. Because a millennial's thinking more in a postmodern thinking. And you say, what's this have to do? Listen, the Bible tells us there's a way which seemeth right unto a man. The end thereof are ways of destruction. Jesus said to the disciples, you know where I'm going, right? And you know how to get there, right? And thank goodness for Thomas. I've, I say this at every funeral. I'm so glad Thomas said what he said. Because Thomas is the one who wasn't shy or bashful. He like, raised his hand and said, wait, I don't know where you're going. And I want to know how to get there. And Jesus said, I am the way. There's a way that seemeth right to a man, but it's wrong. People don't like to be told they're wrong today. People have an idea that, listen, I think God feels to me like this. I think I can be good enough. I think God wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't have such a narrow uh, idea of how to come to him. I think all religions have some good to them. I think all paths lead to heaven. I think all, you know, God loves everyone. I think and I feel, and the Bible says, there's a way which seemeth right to a man, but the end thereof is wrong. Leads to destruction. Jesus said, there's one way. Thomas said, How? wait, wait, where are you going? How do we get there? Jesus said, I am the way. That's the path. The path is only through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. We have lots of ideas of how we feel about it or what we think about it or what we've conjured up or what we've heard about it or you know, all these different things from our background. We put it together. I, I say all the time, I think today religion in America is, is a buffet, right? You just pick out what you like and leave the stuff you don't. You know, it's like a kid going through the buffet. They start at the dessert end, you know? 
forgot the broccoli, the tossed salad, you know, the asparagus. <laughs> that stays on, right? We don't like that. We'll take the cake and the ice cream and the, you know, the, the jello. That looks good. And we kind of treat religion that way. We take what we want from religion in America, and we're like, well, I think God's like this, and we want that, and we like this, but we don't like to talk about sin, or God doesn't, things that God judges, or we don't want to, certainly don't want to talk about hell. We'll leave those on the buffet. That's, uh... And so God becomes kind of a conglomeration of what we think. Bible was written for us today. Not just people 2,000 years ago. And it tells us today, there's a way that seems right to a man, but Jesus said, I am the way. He's the only way. It's, it's, it's crucial that we understand the question and the answer and the specific result of that. Jesus is the only way. Second part of that verse and this, this became such a big topic this week in the media. Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the truth. And I, I immediately, I'm writing my, my notes this week, and I'm like, well, Oprah Winfrey's speech just jumped out at me. <laughs> I didn't hear her speech, but I've heard all the excerpts from her speech and the part of her speech that really touched everybody this week when she stood up at the Golden Globes and says, you need to be confident in talking about and believing in what? Your truth. Your truth. A lot of people's ears perked up. Your truth. Isn't there just truth or error? Isn't it just right? Or I would have loved, I would have loved for my seventh grade biology teacher when he gave me a test that said true or false, that I had my own truth too, right? Not just his true or false, I don't know, not just what the textbook said, but my own truth, because I would have got a lot more right, you know? <laughs> Science just wasn't my thing, and I, I could have done much better if, if my truth mattered, but my truth didn't matter because my truth was wrong, you know? I had the wrong answer to the test. Today we live in a culture where, again, this is postmodern thinking. Your truth, what is truth to you, matters to you. It may not be someone else's truth. Isn't it great that when Jesus Christ walked upon the face of the earth, Jesus Christ said, not only am I the way, but Jesus Christ said, I am the truth. That's the truth. What's the truth that we can hold to that is secure, that never moves, that is unshakable, that is always the same? Jesus Christ is the truth. John chapter 1, same book, go back to chapter 1. And again, we'll use John 14 again in a moment. just to make sure how we determine the truth or where we find the truth, this, this is, a, I, I would hope for us, an elementary question, but John 1 gives us the very clear answer. In the beginning was the Word, capital W. 
The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. I'm going to stop right there. Just We'll jump ahead for a moment and come back. Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus Christ is the word. And so Jesus Christ gave us the word. And so we have an absolute truth that we can base our decisions upon, and that is the truth of the word of God. He's the word. He's he's the ever-living word that has always been. The word brings guidance. It gives us answers where we're going, what we should do, how we should make decisions in our life. We have a truth. And again, it, it makes it more simple for us because we have a culture and an environment and an understanding in the world around us that you should come up with your own truth, right? What is truth to you? Well, your truth is going to differ from my truth, and so I begin to take my truth and compare it to your truth, and maybe I find out I like your truth better than my truth, so I change my truth to match your truth, or begin to question my truth, or get more information, and suddenly my truth begins to change. It's a pretty unstable way to live. It's a pretty tumultuous thing to think about, maybe, I mean, is it possible that my truth is wrong? And if so, I've made some bad decisions. What is your, what is your truth? Well, the Bible says, the Bible clearly told us in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the word. We can open the word of God and find without reservation or without fail exactly what the truth is. That gives you and I a foundation a big, firm, solid foundation in which to build our lives upon. So we begin to to make decisions, decisions on on marriage and child rearing and, and, and character and how to be the people we should be and the decisions we should make based upon a firm, rock solid foundation of the truth, which is Jesus Christ, which was given to us in a written form, the word of God. He's given us the word so we can base that truth upon. So I don't have to start to guess or assimilate my truth or build my truth or think that I am just whatever it is that I've come to a a consensus about. This this popped out at me. I'm probably, my wife will tell you, I'm no fun to watch TV with, you know, (laughs) because these little things come out. I'm like, wait a minute. What was that? Yesterday morning. Uh, I had a project lined up yesterday. I knew all week I was going to uh, take out our old wood stove, and I had another one in the garage I was going to put in. And, and, uh, and so I was, I was all ready. I had my other wood stove ready to go. And so Saturday morning, I'm getting up, switching wood stoves, and then using the wood stove all day because it was a cold Saturday, and we were going to pretty much stay home. So I got up first thing in old jeans and old coat and got my gloves on and, and I was ready to go. And Desi said to me, I don't feel real good. I have a headache. 
house is so dry. <laughs> the wood stove will help that a lot. But uh, my house is so dry, and 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 uh, you know, I just I'm, sinuses are bothering me. I'm going to lay down for a little bit more after breakfast. I'm like, man, okay, you know. Because if she's laying down, I can't be ripping out wood stoves, chimneys, moving stuff around. So, okay. And so I, I went in. I'm like, well, I'll, I'll wait a little bit. And I turned on the TV. She's sleeping. And uh, uh, I watched this old house. If I can't work on my old house, I'll watch someone else do their old house, you know. I'm, I'm watching this old house. But between this old house and then the new Ask This Old House, uh, they always have a little segment in the middle there uh, where they highlight different crafts people and, and people who make all kinds of unique things and stuff. So yesterday's, yesterday was this lady who makes these really neat glass bowls and vases and stuff, very intricate. And she cuts out all these little designs by hand and makes these amazingly beautiful bowls and crystals and vases, and they're fantastic. All custom made, all one of a kind, all made just by her uh, in her shop. Very, very, very beautiful stuff. And she talked about it and, and all this, and she said at the end though, the very end of the segment, she said, I've, uh, she said, it's not really work to me. She said, in fact, I've come to the conclusion that making these glass products is just who I am. And again, I'm, immediately I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Making those glass products is a very unique skill. And she's extremely talented at that. But she is so much more than that to Jesus Christ. She is a soul that is lost in sin that Jesus Christ died for and gave his life for so that he can make her a child of the king. She is so much more than just someone who makes fancy glass bowls. She is so much more than just someone who makes these unique designs and, and this, this unique and wonderful craftsman. She's more than that to Jesus Christ. In other words, at the end of our life, as we stand before the Almighty, Jesus is going to say, okay, and, and you know, who are you? What did you do? Well, I made glass bowls. And while they were fantastic and something very few other people could do, that's... That has no eternal value because we're more than that. In other words, what's our truth? Our truth is based on the word of God. And in the word of God, I find the value of life is the value that God gave to life. He breathed into man the breath of God and man became a living soul. And when mankind messed up and sinned and blew it, and there was a, an enmity, a, a great gulf between God and man, God himself came in the form of Jesus Christ and died to redeem those people unto himself. We are more than our job. We are more than our craft. We are more than our accomplishments. We are more than our talents. We are someone that God himself came to die for, to redeem to himself, that we could live forever as joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And I know that because the Bible tells me so. And I know that because this is the truth that we hold on to. Not the truth that I've accumulated or the truth that I've come up with or the truth that I think is important or the truth that I've pulled off of the buffet of religion and accumulated because it's the buffet of religion that I like. No, 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 no. No, it's the truth that Jesus Christ spoke. 
It's the truth that Jesus Christ is. So Jesus Christ said to Thomas, you want to know where I'm going and you want to know how to get there? First of all, Jesus said, I'm the way. Second of all, Jesus said, I'm the truth. Not some other truth. Not, you don't have to go find your truth. You don't have to determine your truth. Jesus said, I'm the truth. And then, of course, number three, Jesus said, I am the life. That's life. And I wrote down three, three aspects of that. One, he's given us life apart from spiritual death. Because that's what happened when sin came into the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. When sin came, there was immediate spiritual death. Immediately, at, we, we spent some time talking about this on Wednesday night uh, during our lesson. Immediately, Adam and Eve were ashamed. They hid themselves. Uh, they would, after their conversation with God, they were removed from the garden, kicked out of the garden. No longer did God come down in the cool of the day to converse one-on-one -on -one with Adam and Eve. Now there was a problem. There was spiritual death. They needed to be redeemed to God because spiritually there was a problem. And so when Jesus Christ came, he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. He came to redeem us, to pay the price for our sin, shed his precious blood on Calvary so that you and I, accepting the free gift of salvation, could be restored or redeemed to a holy God who cannot tolerate sin. So there was spiritual death. And because of Jesus Christ, we now have renewed or spiritual life. Letter B, I wrote down, or the, my second point, under life. We have, now we have life with purpose and meaning. We know why we live. Again, it goes back to our previous point that he's the truth. Because he's the truth, now I know what the purpose of life is. Again, I, I believe we have a generation of people, and this is not new, I think every generation has gone through this. They try to determine what their purpose is, what they're living for. We have an increased amount of suicides because people don't know. They don't know what they're living for. They have no purpose in life. They're so frustrated or depressed or discouraged or upset or have got themselves into what they feel is such a hole they can't get out of that life is not worth living. So they have no purpose to their life. The word of God, the truth of God, gives us purpose. And so when we live our life today, we know why we live our life today. The Bible tells us our ultimate goal is to glorify God Almighty. If there's a God that loves me so much that he came up with his, a plan to redeem me to himself, was willing to die for me in my place, that I might live forever with him. That gives a lot of purpose to our life. That gives a plan to my life. My plan is not as short-sighted as just my time here on earth. My plan is extended because God has a plan that I'm going to live somewhere forever. And he wants me to live with him. And so, what, wow, purpose. Jesus Christ said to Thomas, I'm the way. 
I'm the truth. I'm the life. Spiritual life in place of death and a life with purpose and meaning while we're living on this earth. Again, I'm, I'm convinced that more than ever, people are consumed with trying to figure out what that purpose of life is, what that meaning of life is. I want my life to have a purpose. I want my life to have meaning. I want my life to have an impact. I want my life to do, do something that's, that's important. And so people are trying to find ways to be more engaged than ever before. We talked in Sunday school this morning uh, younger generation, the millennial generation that everybody's talking about, whether it's advertising or religion or politics, everyone's talking about the millennials, so the young people today. And while we talked about this in Sunday school, the numbers of millennials who are believers in God uh, or are, call themselves Christians, while that percentage is lower than it's ever been, in previous generations, those who do profess God or do profess to be a Christian are more engaged than ever before. They're more involved than ever before. They're more committed than ever before. I think we see so many people today that the younger generation is really active in trying to help social needs more than previous generations, percentage-wise. They're trying to help social needs. That's why uh, they, you know, they love the idea that instead of buying a pair of sneakers at Target for $30 or whatever, they'll go to one of these companies where sneakers cost $50, but if I buy one, they send one to some needy people in Africa. And these places are extremely popular today. I'll spend more if it helps someone else. Reading the story behind this firehouse subs. We don't have one, I don't think, any closer than Carlisle, which for me is not close, but maybe for you it is. Firehouse subs, two firefighters started the sub shop. Proceeds from the sub shop go to help first responders. So people want to buy the sub, because you, know, you buy a sub at Subway, it's helping Subway, you know. You buy a sub at Firehouse, it's helping first responders. So they're willing to spend an extra dollar or two for their sub at Firehouse subs because of who it helps. So people are more interested and engaged in helping other people that way than ever before. That's a big thing because people want to feel that their life has importance and meaning and purpose and that they're doing something. Christ tells us how to do those things in the word of God. Christ tells us the purpose of life and the meaning of life in the word of God to glorify him. And so I can glorify him by the way I work, by the way I'm a parent, and by the way I'm uh, involved in my church, by the way I'm a spouse. I can glorify him in the way that I help other people that may be in need. We have a purpose and a meaning. We have an underlying truth standard that determines why I do what I do and how I do what I do. So the third one, we have life that's apart from spiritual death. We have life with purpose and meaning. And we have life that is eternal. 
eternal. I've alluded to that already. But we are going to live somewhere forever. God put inside of us a soul and a spirit. It makes us different from the animals and different from the agriculture. While those things are alive and have a system of life, you and I have a soul that will live somewhere forever. God breathed into man the breath of God. Not the animals, not the trees. He didn't breathe onto earth the breath of God. He breathed into man the breath of God. It was mankind that sinned, and it was mankind that actually messed up the animals and the agriculture. But we messed that up because of our sin. But it was mankind that God came and died for because it's mankind that will live somewhere forever. We have life that is eternal. And so either we choose Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. We choose the fact that I am a sinner. He died for my sin. I can be redeemed unto God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, he and he alone. Or I reject God and come to some conclusion that I can figure this out myself. I will determine my own truth. I will put my own path together and hope it's good enough. And if we do that, we will still live somewhere forever. And that somewhere is an eternity apart from God in everlasting punishment. It is apart from the plan that he has in store for us. So we either choose him and live forever in heaven, or we reject him and have thrown ourselves into an eternity of hell. That is a hard black and white type of line, isn't it? There's no middle ground there. There's no, there's no gray area. There's no exception to the rule. There's no, you know, uh, 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 Philip and I were talking the other day, the craziness of the English language. You know, I before E except after C. Except for this list of 75 words where that doesn't apply, you know. Because the English language is all goofy like that. Uh, we, we, we want an exception to the rule. God says in or out, heaven or hell. With me or without me, right? A straight path or the wide road that leads to destruction. It's one or the other. We're looking for the gray area, the loophole, the exception. to the, What about the middle ground? No middle ground. One or the other. Jesus said to Thomas, Thomas said, Lord, I don't know where you're going. I don't know how to get there. Please tell me. And I guarantee, we don't have this, but I guarantee the other disciples we're really glad Thomas asked it. I think the other disciples leaned forward a little bit to catch this. They, want, they didn't want to miss this one. Jesus said, I'm leaving. I'm going to prepare a place. Where, where are you going? How, how do we get there? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray.